to talk uh, through a few different institutions today. Institutions ordained by God and God's goodness and God's love and care for us. He's given us something. He's given us the church. He's given us marriage. We're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. Additionally, he's given us the government. And so on the heels of Veterans Day, I wanted to take just a few moments and give honor to where honor is due. And so for those of you who have served in the U.S. military, we're going to ask you to go ahead and stand up at this time. We want to honor you. We're not trying to embarrass you. We're not going to embarrass you at all. But if you would be willing to stand, we would appreciate that. If you have served in the U.S. military, thank you and God bless you. We appreciate your service. We recognize that freedom isn't free. And we're thankful for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, we are going to talk about the institution of marriage today. Oh, get ready. It's going to be fun. Nobody is going to be uh, sweating more than me up here. But we're going to have some fun together because it really is about God's Word. And we want to lean into God's Word and see what He has to say. Uh, because He has plenty to say. Just so you know, we are going to walk together. We're going to uh, identify some framework that God would have us uh, walk in and work together. We're going to identify four myths. There are plenty of myths uh, within our culture and community, but we're going to identify four myths together and work through those in the scriptures. And then at the end, we're going to revisit the framework and see what God would have for us. And so if you would be willing to join me in prayer, we're going to jump right in. Almighty God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for your word and that your word is true and that your word is good. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand as we move forward together, as we think through, uh, Lord, how uh, you would have us uh, enter into the institution of marriage, what it means, and what it means in ways that you have set it up. And so, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand as we seek you and follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like you to do me a favor. Again, to set up the framework. Here's the favor. I want you to imagine you're in your living room. In your living room, you recognize, mm, it's kind of chilly and you don't want to turn up the heater because you're a miser like me and you don't want to spend money on on uh, heating up the room. So you're thinking, what should I do? It's kind of dark in this room. It's a little chilly. Maybe I'll put some wood out and I'll start a fire. But it's okay because in your living room, you have a fireplace. Let's imagine that even if you don't have a fireplace, let's pretend like you do, okay, for this story. You have a fireplace and this fire is wonderful in there. It has done everything that you hoped it would do. It has brought ambiance to the room. It has brought an atmosphere. It's brought some warmth. And there is life that you are experiencing in unique ways because of the fire in your fireplace. Now let's pretend that you're sitting in your living room. And you're sitting there going, yeah, I think I do want a fire but I don't want it all the way across the room in the fireplace. Eh, it barely gets to me from the fireplace. Why don't I put a fire right here in front of me in the middle of the living room? Well, if, if you did, you might get something like that. 
Not the way that you want the fire to go. Uh, Yep, it's going to heat up. Yep, it's going to get real hot, but not the way that you want it. So you have a choice. You can put it in the fireplace and it'd be like this, or you can take it out of the fireplace and it'd do this. Uh, It's a choice that we all have. It's a choice that we exist in. I want to suggest to you today that God has a fireplace for us for the institution of marriage, that God has uniquely developed this fireplace so that certainly we would get atmosphere and ambiance and warmth, but God has extended life to us even in the institution of marriage. We can experience it within that institution or we can take it out and put it in the middle of the floor and it will burn the house down. And those are our choices. Now today, you may be in a place where you go, well, Kenny, I recognize uh, that what you're saying is true, that God has put some boundaries in marriage and that those are for, for life and goodness, but I am a fallen person and I have blown it. Or maybe you're saying, and my spouse has blown it. Either way, it's gone outside of the fireplace. What do I do? Well, I want to suggest three things. I'm going to ask us to do three things, and I'm going to ask for your buy-in. So I I actually want a response from you. It's not a rhetorical question. I'd love to hear it from you. And here's the first one. Uh, I, I want to encourage you to acknowledge that God is at work around us in us, and perhaps even through us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says it this way, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. That God is at work. And so I'm going to ask you today, as we talk about the institution of marriage, would you be willing to say, to acknowledge that God is at work? Would you be willing to, and you personally, perhaps in your marriage, perhaps in someone else's marriage, but that God is at work. Would you be willing to acknowledge God today? Not great. Uh, Let's try that again. Would you be willing to acknowledge God today? Yes. Yes, there we go. I like that. All right. Secondly, would you be willing to trust God? Romans 8.28 says it this way, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Would you be willing to trust God? In other words, that God knows better than we do. That he has set up some boundaries for the sake of extending life. And that as we trust God, God is faithful. Would you be willing to trust God today? All right, great. Here's the hard one. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So will you obey God? Will you obey God? So, in other words, if we come to a place where we see in God's word that it doesn't match up with our actions, attitude, or behaviors, that we would, despite how we feel, or perhaps even how we think, that we would be willing to say, God, I acknowledge you, I trust you, and I will obey you. Would you be willing to obey God today? Okay, okay. Let's try it one more time. I think some of you weren't ready for the question, so we'll just try it one more time. Would you be willing to obey God today? All right, that sounds good. Well, let's move on. We're going to look at four myths. These are not the only myths. These are four of them. These four myths are going to help us to walk through some scriptures together and help us to understand God's plan for marriage, whereby we can either 
exist in a place where the fire is placed in the fireplace, where it brings ambiance and atmosphere and warmth and life, or we take it outside of the uh, boundaries God has given us and we set fire to the house. And those are the choices that we'll have to walk in. So let's look at the first myth of a biblical marriage. And hang in there with me. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Myth number one. Oh, I can already see it on your face. Wait a minute, Kenny. Hang in there. Don't, don't lose me yet. Hang in there with me. We're going to walk through this. Two. Marriage is about me being happy. Or you. It can be you in this case. Third one. Marriage is about a wife submitting. Maybe you've heard that one. I know there was already a gasp. Hang in there. We're going to walk through this together. And fourth, marriage is for everyone. It's the fourth myth. Well, let's break it down and let's walk through these together. Let's see what God's word has to say. And uh, we're going to jump in. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Myth number one. Let's go. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, God establishes himself as the creator of the institution of marriage. He says things like this. God, or scripture says things like this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God is the creator and the institutor of marriage. He goes on to say, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We're going to come back to purpose a little bit later on in our uh, discussion together. And then at the end uh, of chapter 2, verse 25, says this, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed, identifying that God is the creator of marriage and that within the perfect boundaries of marriage, things can happen. That a man and a woman can love God, love God together, be obedient to God's call to be a steward of that which God has called them to, to obedience uh, to the Lord. And we see it maybe even played out best this way. Marriage is between one man, one woman, and God. Ephesians Uh, 5.32, Paul is talking about the institution of marriage when he says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He's like, okay, the mystery of marriage is profound, and in case you miss it, let me clarify. It is a reflection of Christ, the one who was willing to die on the cross for our sins, the one who conquered sin and death, the one who offers life to anybody who would call on his name, and the church. The one who loves Christ, who follows Christ. And marriage uniquely and specifically reflects that. And in that place of marriage, you can be unashamed. Now, in chapter 2, when it says naked and unashamed, it appears that it is not just talking about the the physicalness of not wearing clothes, but also... That you can be unashamed emotionally, spiritually, physically, sexually. All of those things coalesce in a marriage that is in the boundaries that God has given. Between one man and one woman and God. And as we look at this, 
uh, triangle, and many of you are familiar with that triangle, uh, the husband and wife get closer together as they follow the Lord, as opposed to pointing fingers at one another. Somebody once said it this way, and I've really appreciated this. They said, when you're looking for a spouse, you should chase, af- chase after God with all your heart. Run after him. And as you're running after him, look over and see who's running with you. If you're a man and that person is a woman, then grab her hand and run together. If you're a woman and that person is a man, grab his hand and run together. Uh, because we're chasing after God. We're coming together. So, very clearly, God is the institutor of marriage. He's the one who came up with the plan. Because he came up with the plan, he's the one who defines it. I have an uncle, his name's Jim, he's a great guy. He and I think dynamically different. We are generally on opposite ends of opinions. Uh, He is not a person of faith, but uh, he is reasonable to talk to. And so we had a conversation like this, and I said, Uncle Jim, you don't believe that the government should define terms that are the church's terms, do you? And he said, no, no, I don't believe that. The government should stay out of church business. I said, oh, we agree. And I said, uh, so they, the government shouldn't define terms that, that are uniquely the church's or the religious institution. He said, that's correct. And I said, and you would also agree that the church shouldn't come in and say like, No, the boundary line for Minnesota and Wisconsin is different than what the government said. That's not the church's business, right? And he said, yeah, I agree with that. And I said, good. Well, we are in the same uh, place with marriage. And he said, come again? And I said, well, you agree with me that you don't think the government should redefine what a marriage is because that is a church definition. God is the one who defined what a marriage is, that it is one man. And it is one woman, together, united in Christ. That, that's, what the, that's what the church says. And you don't think the government should go in and redefine that, do you? And he said, well, dang it, you're right. Well, I appreciate that. But it's clear from Scripture that God has a plan and that it's God's plan that we're looking at. And that in God's plan, we see that this is one man and one woman. And that God has uniquely created them, one man and one woman. This is God's gift. Now, why did God give us this gift? Well, it's clear from the passage that God created, if you're a man, he created you as a man. Why? To reflect his image. If, if you're a woman, he created you a woman. Why? To, to reflect his image. We're image bearers. Uh, Jesus said it this way, uh, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. They said, wait, wait what? And he said, yeah, whose image is on that coin? And they said, well, that's Caesar's image. He said, yeah, that's right. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. What is God's? Well, whatever has the image of God on it. What has the image of God? Man and woman. God uniquely created us, male and female. And the institution of marriage is for the sake of following him to reflect to the world Christ and the church. Functionally different. Purposefully the same. Following the Lord. Someone said, well, that's great, Kenny, but you're talking about that from uh, the garden, right? So uh, 
Some things happened after the garden, sin specifically, and sin changed things. In fact, we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a little bit when we go on to the next myth. But uh, did sin change the way that marriage should look? Well, some have said, well, Jesus never said anything about marriage. Actually, he did. Uh, he did say something about marriage. Fact is, Jesus, and someone said, well, yeah, of course Jesus is going to go along with what is true in his culture. And it's like, well, mm, yes and no. His immediate culture is uh, Judaism, which certainly would have leaned into one man, one woman. But the overall culture, the Roman Empire, embraced a lot of different things. It's pretty weird stuff. And Jesus had the opportunity and even the ability to say, you know what? In the garden, we thought that, and that could have worked. But I'll tell you what. Do whatever you want. Uh, just so long as you love God in the midst of it, that's good enough. But he didn't. In fact, he goes on to affirm what was true in the garden. He answers in Matthew 19, 4 and 5, Jesus says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This man and this woman, one flesh in God. Jesus affirms this reality, this truth. So when we look at the first myth, it is not about just one man and one woman. It is also about one man, one woman, and God. More specifically, and God. He is a part of that. I would say this, that when we do weddings, pastors, when we do weddings, and we open it up to just one man and one woman and not God, that, that's not a biblical marriage. And, and that's not what we're ordained to do. So, marriage is between one man, one woman, and one God. Let's keep looking at this. Let's, let's look at the second myth. Marriage is about me being happy. Oh, have you ever heard that? <laughs> marriage is about me, like, oh. I should just be happy in marriage. Well, okay, but that's not what marriage is for. I'm not saying you shouldn't be happy in your marriage. Please don't misunderstand. Like, I hope that you are very happy and that you're married. I also want to say that marriage is not about us being happy. Uh, a friend of mine, he says it like this. He says, marriage is a little bit like if you could take a pit bull and a mountain lion and put them in a potato sack and stir it around and throw it over your shoulder and walk around for 50 years, that's a little bit what marriage is like. They're either going to kill each other or they're going to figure out how to live together. Well, we have a little bit more hope than that. Marriage is not about us being happy. Therefore, marry wisely. Marry wisely. What do I mean by that? Well, it looks like this. We've all heard it. Uh, I'll give one, I'll give both perspectives. So, when I met this guy, he gave me tons of attention. And it's not that he loved God necessarily, but he wasn't against me loving God. And so, he gave me this attention, and he seemed to love me, and he did his own thing sometimes, but he gave me attention. And we, and we got married, and now I don't even think he likes me. Like, yeah, there were some signs ahead of time. Why? We went outside of God's biblical boundaries, and now you have a fire in your living room. Or 
Let's look at the other side. There's this guy who goes, yeah, eh, she wasn't particularly interested in, in godly things, but she was hot, <laughs> and she liked me. Uh, so we got married, and she had the spirit of a pterodactyl. Like, that is not good. And you got married. You went outside of the boundaries that God gave, and now there's a fire in the living room. Marriage is not about us being happy. Before we get into what it is about, uh, I, I want to identify a couple of bullet points. Some of them maybe, uh, maybe could have been placed in some other areas, but I just wanted to put it here, so I did. So uh, marriage will make my situation better. You ever heard that? If I could just get married, then things will be better. Uh, my problem, whatever is happening in my world right now, it will be fixed if I just get married. My loneliness, my uh, whatever. It, it'll just, if I get married, that fixes it. One of my professors was uh, my mentor. And he said to me when I went to him and asked about marriage, I said, what, what sort of words of wisdom would you give me as I'm preparing for marriage? He said this, just get healthy. Just get healthy. And then see if she's getting healthy. And then if you get healthy, go ahead and get married. What he was saying, what he was implying is this, that marriage isn't going to fix me. Like, I'm not going to be more healthy because I entered into this institution of marriage. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Nope. If I'm sick mentally, emotionally, physically, sexually, whatever, if I'm sick in those areas and I come into a marriage, probably marry someone who's just as messed up as I am, guess what? That marriage isn't fixing it. We're going to have problems. There is going to be unhealth. And uh, marriage doesn't fix the problem. But also, I would say this, that in the pursuit of happiness, we sometimes want to do things our own way. Mm, kind of go around, right? What's a shortcut to this? And so I'll often hear this, point, uh, bullet point number two. I can honor God without the law. I don't need a marriage license to honor God in marriage except for you do. Let me explain. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2 says it this way. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment." We're commanded in Scripture to follow the authorities over the institutions by which we are under or exist in. And when that institution is not causing us to move away from God specifically, then we have a responsibility to obey. In other words, if the government came to us and said, okay, yep, we will accept this as a legal marriage, but you have to marry seven other people. Okay, well, that's not what Scripture tells us to do. That's not being obedient to God. So that would be a, a time when you could rebel against uh, the government. But the government's not doing that. What they are saying is, for us to acknowledge this as a valid marriage in the, state, in the United States of America, you need a marriage license. Then guess what? Uh, that's what God's asking us to do as well. And I would submit to us today that if we're willing to shortcut that and call that godliness, we'll do it in a lot of areas of our lives. It doesn't change. So marriage is not about us being happy. 
I hope you are happy in your marriage. But it's not about that. It's actually about us being holy. God wants me to be holy. First uh, Peter 1, 14 through 16 says it this way. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. In all areas of life for the believer, we are called to holiness, separation by God, that our lives are to be examples set apart for him uh, and for his glory. Our marriage is no different, that God wants us to be holy. You could be married like, well, I'll say it this way. I'll, uh, I'll be honest. The first hour I was married, I thought, this is pretty easy. Uh, yep, I got this. Cindy is so lucky. <laughs> uh, yep, awesome. And uh, after that first hour, I quickly realized that was not the case. Uh, I, turns out, I'm not perfect. Turns out, I'm not that awesome. Turns out, turns out there are sometimes some friction. You might be thinking, what is it? Well, in those days, we didn't have this magic thing called GPS. We had these old things called maps. And I couldn't drive and use a map, so I relied on my wife in those days. And uh, we communicate differently. I like a heads up before I turn. Um, <laughs> I'm giving her a hard time because she's not here to defend herself. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but that was, that literally, that happened that first day. And immediately, it was like, well, why can't you just tell me ahead of time? Well, I did tell you. It's not my fault you weren't ready. Well, I, uh, and clash. And what did I learn? Uh, I learned that I'm pretty selfish. I, I learned that I, I, I can be upset with my wife over silly things that don't really matter in the scale of eternity and miss the important things in our marriage. I learned that maybe God wanted to do something. Somebody said it this way. I love this, this uh, phrase that, has your spouse ever kind of like sandpaper to you? Yeah, you know, kind of grates on you a little bit, kind of rubs you wrong a little bit. Good. Because you're a rough piece of lumber, and God wants to smooth us down a little bit. Uh, he has some work that he has. And he uses the institution of marriage sometime to do just that. And that's a good thing. So, uh, the feelings that I have are just feelings. But the fact is, God wants me to be holy. So, what does the institution of marriage give us? Great question. What are some things that should happen in marriage? Well, marriage is uh, given to us for a variety of reasons. We're going to talk about those in just a moment. One of those reasons, though, is for the sake of procreation, uh, that we can have children. Uh, we're supposed to have children. In fact, it should hearken us to Psalm 127. Children are a heritage from the Lord. In other words, children are a blessing. I mentioned earlier that we, in the garden, we were called to be fruitful and multiply. I took that very seriously. We have seven children. I'm like, God, I'm with you on this, okay? We have seven children. Here's what I've learned, though, that that be fruitful and multiply 
to be a steward of God's creation, Jesus takes it and uses it a little bit differently in the New Testament. He says, go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That this institution of marriage, whereby children are supposed to be born, where there is a husband and a wife who are focused on God, who rightly reflect Christ and the church, that uh, this husband and wife then are bringing up their children in such a way that they're replacing them and joining them in the work of stewardship of this amazing gospel that we have to give to the world. It's a responsibility that we have. Marriage gives us purpose, and in that purpose, and as a part of that purpose, is procreation. So what am I saying? Well, I'm saying what the church has been saying since day one, that abortion is not okay. I'm saying that life is supposed to be perpetuated, that it is supposed to happen within the institution of marriage, and that children are actually a blessing from the Lord, and that those blessings of the Lord are to be brought up and trained in the mission that God has given us to go make disciples of all nations. That is a responsibility we have now. The Bible uh, gives in principle that truth, but the early church in documents like the Didache, which came out at the end of the first century, um, those documents that came out are very explicit in saying abortion, uh, uh, believers aren't supposed to behave and practice abortion. Why? Because God wants holiness. And one of the things that I've learned as being a dad is that I have to learn to die to myself a lot. That uh, I can't get mad when I step on a Lego in the middle of the night while there's a baby crying at three in the morning. Uh, that God wants me to die to myself, to care for my children, to train them up in a way that they can be stewards of the gospel that has been given to me and is also going to be given to them as part of their responsibility. Marriage allows that. And you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. What if uh, I want to be married, but I, we can't have kids for whatever reason? Well, good news. Marriage is also recreation. Let's break the word down. Re-creation. We're, uh, we're joining God in his creativity, and we can do that as a married couple. It happens in the intimacy that was established in the garden, that we can be unashamed uh, emotionally, physically, spiritually, sexually. All of those things are true in the boundaries of marriage, and we can recreate. Proverbs 5.18 says it this way. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife, wife of your youth. That's pretty good. Song of Solomon says it a different way. Buckle up. Awake, O north wind. And come, O south wind, blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Wow. Whew. Recreation is allowed in marriage. It allows for purpose and creativity and love and intimacy. And God calls it good. Marriage is not about us being happy, but it is about us being holy. And so in all things, we are called to this holiness and marriage certainly reflects that, and God absolutely will use that. Let's, let's go on to the third point. 
This is the one that might get under your collar a little bit. Marriage is about a wife submitting. We've all heard that, you know, wives submit to your husbands. Uh, I, I find that a lot of times uh, guys will use that when they're not getting their way. And uh, ladies, just so you know, how we handle that in, in my office is, and how are you doing loving your wife as Christ loved the church? And also, guys, help you out, uh, when we're in my office and the ladies go, wow, he's just, he's not being nice. How are you doing at submitting to your own husband? Mm. That works both ways. But let me give more context because context is king on this. And if we're not careful, we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble. This passage is dealing with uh, being filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but rather be filled with the Spirit, uh, singing songs, making melody uh, to the Lord, giving thanks always. And then verse 21, that kind of is the, the climax of being filled with the Spirit, is this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That means men and women. We're submitting to one another. And, and then the passage goes into how that looks in a marriage. In other words, how do I submit to my wife? In the context of marriage, how does my wife submit to me? In the context of marriage. And that's, that's what we see in the following verses. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Remembering that this institution of marriage reflects Christ and the church. And the role that the wife is in in this position is that of the church. And how is the church to love Christ? Then wives, love, love your husbands that way. Uh, does the church follow Christ? Then, yeah, do it that way. And that is an, an act of that submitting to one another as we submit to Christ. Additionally, guys, how are you supposed to act? Well, verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I love that, that last little clause there. Like, let me make sure you understand what I'm saying. And gave himself up for her. Jesus in the garden prays a prayer asking the Father to take this cup away from him. He's about to go to the cross. And then he says, yet, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is willing to take the cup of the wrath of God on him for the sake of the church. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. That's what Christ was willing to do. It wasn't transactional. In this respect, Jesus was going to the cross regardless of what you did. He's going to the cross. How does that work in a marriage? I'm going to choose to love you regardless of how you respond. Well, she doesn't want to be intimate. Well, she's always complaining. Well, get over it. As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Sacrificially, completely, totally, non-transactionally, though he was willing to replace uh, uh, the penalty that we had for what he was willing to offer. How does Christ love the church? This is our act, men, our act of submission. It's two-sided. It's not just about the wife submitting, but rather both are submitting. Do you suppose, ladies, 
that it would be easier to follow your husband if you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt he absolutely loved the Lord and that he was absolutely looking out for you. Imperfect, perhaps. Snores, makes weird sounds, for sure. But he loves you. Do you think it would be easier to follow that kind of guy? You bet. It's a calling that we all have. A calling to follow Christ, to surrender to him. Let's look at the fourth myth coming up. Marriage is for everyone. I hear this all the time, uh, especially among single people. It seems like, um, uh, you know, people say things like, oh, maybe one day you'll be the one getting married, and they just kind of sink. Oh, what do we do with it? How do we respond? Well, marriage is not for everyone. Now, we recognize that the early church, they saw marriage as a sacrament because it represented Christ and the church. And there was some uh, sort of a beautiful example that is displayed in a biblical marriage whereby people receive both grace and mercy at the same time. Like sometimes grace because we fall short, sometimes mercy because we deserve worse. And God is good in the midst of that. Yet, marriage isn't for everyone. And there's a season where no one should be married, like, like when, when you're a child, perhaps when you're a teen, maybe for some in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, like it is okay to not be married. It's not a joke. It's not a, uh, a lesser call. In fact, uh, Paul sets it up in a very wise way in 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 35, in addressing this issue of marriage. He says it this way, I want you to be free from anxieties. That sounds great. I also want to be free from anxieties. What, what, What do we need to do here, Paul? He says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. In other words, the things that are pressing the unmarried person are the things of the Lord. That is our priority as single people, the Lord. That is our call. That's how we live it out. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. What do you mean, Paul? How to please his wife. And his interests are divided. Now, I I will say this. Not always is that true. Like, they're not mutually exclusive always, right? Like, you can please your wife and please God at the same time. That, That can happen. But his point is valid in this respect that sometimes... Our attention is drawn to the care of our spouse and not the attention of the priorities of God in our lives in a way that a single person can. that They can serve in a different manner. Let's keep going. Verse 34. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. Again, if she's single, her focus is on the Lord. How to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things. How to please her husband. Again, not mutually exclusive, but if your attention is on how to please your spouse, you can have different sets of priorities in terms of how to please the Lord. Paul says in verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraints upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Uh, That's God's call in our lives. And so, if you're single, praise God. That that calling is as valid as someone who is married. 
and that is just fine. In fact, I would say if God is calling you to singleness, stay single. Don't mess things up and get married. If God is calling you into marriage, then here's the boundaries. Stay in those boundaries. If we are willing to stay in those boundaries, ambiance, atmosphere, warmth, life. If we take it out of there and put it in the middle of the floor, the house burns down. But the choice is ours. Now, the reality is that we do have some choices. The reality is that all of us, to a certain degree, if you're married, perhaps we, we tried to be here. <laughs> well, I wanted to be here, but there are some embers that got out. And what do we do? Some of that fire has spilled over into the living room. And what do we do? Well, where we started. Let's acknowledge God. That God is at work around us, and he has a plan. Uh, let's, let's trust God. That, that God has a plan in marriage, and it's a good plan. His boundaries are right and good. And let's be obedient to him. What might obedience look like if we have spilled over into uh, the living room? Well, it may be that you have struggled with this issue of marriage. Ah, mm, I, yeah, it's me and my spouse, but God really hasn't been a part of it. And we've spilled over into the living room and we need to make God be a part of things. And I, Okay, that, that might be true. It may be that you've struggled with same-sex attraction. There may be some things to address there. It may be that you've had an abortion, and there may be some things to address there. It, it may be that you have thought marriage is about your happiness, and you've been willing to belittle your spouse for the sake of your happiness. It may be that you have been condescending to somebody else who has been single? Any one of those could be true. What is our response? Well, our response is exactly what we do every week. And that's to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts. And as he illuminates our hearts, and as we see sin in our lives, we repent. We may be walking in one direction. And as we are convinced that that is not God's plan, that that is not God's direction, we repent and turn towards God and obey him and his word. That is not, okay, I've been uh, condescending to my spouse. I've belittled my spouse. Now I'll just ignore my spouse. Nope, that's not repentance. That's just turning to a different sin. Repentance is turning to God, asking for forgiveness and being obedient to him. This is God's call in our lives. As the worship team comes out and we prepare our hearts for communion, uh, I want to remind you of a few things. Uh, one, communion is for the believer. It's what the, part of what the believer is called to because we remember the body that was broken, the blood that was shed for our sins. Additionally, as a believer, we're called to examine our hearts, to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate. Is there any sin? And we confess that, and we turn away. Now, I'm telling you these things with what I, what I believe is hope. So whether you've taken things out, uh, taken the fire out of the fireplace and put it in the living room, and you're convicted of that, let me give you some hope. The Scripture says, 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Who is faithful? God. What is he faithful to do? To forgive us and to cleanse us. That is God's work. So no matter where you are in this, with this institution of marriage, no matter anywhere that you have fallen short, God is willing to receive you and to take that fire out of the living room and place it back in the fireplace where it belongs. And he can do his work even today if you would be willing. We're going to ask you in just a few moments as you uh, uh, have a sense that you, you've walked through the things you need to walk through to go to the station nearest you coming down the aisle, the carpeted aisle and to the station nearest you getting both elements and returning in the outer aisle to your seat. Once everyone is served, Pastor Jason's going to come forward and lead us in a time of communion. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we do love you and we need you. We thank you and praise you and ask that you would be exalted here today. We recognize our great need for you and the reality is, oh Lord, that we have at times taken the fire out of the fireplace. We ask for your forgiveness, recognizing that you are faithful and just to forgive us. That, Lord, we have at times tried to call things good that are not good. Forgive us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand even today. To celebrate you, the one who has victory over sin and death and even this flesh that reigns in our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.